All right, back to podcast. I hope everyone has had a good day in the Lord. Uh, the Lord always blesses us with great uh, times together on Sundays, and um, just appreciate Him and His mercy, His long suffering to us, and uh, we're just so thankful to be saved, to be Christians, to have a, a friend that's closer than a brother. And if God ever has, he still can. All right. Um, We're going to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter number 9 tonight. And um, we've got just three or four verses to cover there. And once we finish with um, Hebrews 9, we'll go into one of my favorite chapters in Hebrews 10. But um, last time we covered... A good portion of Hebrews nine. These these chapters in Hebrews are smaller. They're they're not that long, and so they're easier to kind of take off in chunks. And uh, sometimes we get into the second chapter. And so last time we did get into a good portion of Hebrews nine as well. Of course, we finished eight, and then we got into nine. So tonight we're going to finish nine. Absolutely go into 10, but may not finish it. So that's where we stand. So let's go to Hebrews 9. Great verses here. Um, again, when you're referring to him in Hebrews, it's typically referring to Christ. Okay, because it's there's, there's times where it's referring to Melchizedek or others. But typically speaking... The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. It's all about how much better he is, how wonderful he is, uh, how better he is than the law, than the old sacrifices, etc. So understanding that, um, let's go to Hebrews 9, verse number 25. And as we look there, we see, nor yet that he should offer himself, that's referring to Christ, often. So again, it's reiterating the fact that under the law, the the Old Testament priests would have to make offerings for their sins. They would have to atone for their unrighteousness. They would have to atone for their uh, failure before they could ever atone for yours. And or, or for Israel's. And so going into this, you've got to remember the author is, is letting everyone know how much better Christ is, how much better the new, and not just Christ. Christ is the new covenant. Christ is the new testament. But the, the testament or the covenant in and of itself. And that's how... The um, the previous chapter ends is is discussing the testator and the fact that our testator under the new covenant will live forever. So, what the Hebrew writer is doing here, and what I seek to do, is essentially this: take in 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 taking the old covenant and the new covenant. And showing their differences, the old covenant was a law. It was a, it was in stone. 
it was written, it was or engraved. Um, it was uh, it was very formal, very cold, very standoffish. Okay, so when when the new covenant comes, it's none of that, none of that. It's not. Yes, we have a New Testament, but instead of the New Testament being the covenant, the New Testament teaches what the covenant is. Okay, now stay with me. For you see, we go from the New Covenant being, or or from the Old Covenant being stone, being engraven, being, you know, all of that, to the New Covenant being a person. So therein lies the difference, the transgression, or the the, uh, the difference and the, the issue here is the fact that the new covenant is no longer about just the, uh, the law, the stone, so forth. This is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's, we, we've got to drive that point home. And understanding that, that's where we get to verse number 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often. So he doesn't have to offer himself again. Not just often, but ever again. He's offered forever. And that's, that's what the teaching is here. For as as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. So the high priest, and again, we we reiterate this throughout the teaching of Hebrews and the fact that the high priest every year annually would make atonement for himself, then he would make an atonement for others. Christ didn't have to do that. He just atoned for others because he was sinless within himself. So then we go to verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, you see that once. The whole theme and basis is once. He died once, he suffered once, he went to Gethsemane once, he resurrected once, and we get saved once. We get saved once. You don't have to get saved multiple times. The Bible's clear on that. But now once in the end of the world had he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So sin has not been rolled over. Sin has not been covered over. Sin has not been glossed over. Sin, ladies and gentlemen, has been put away. Okay? Very clear. It's been put away. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. All right. A little doctrinal teaching here. Okay? Do you see that? The Bible says that we have an appointment with death. Okay? We have an appointment. There is a set time when... When you were conceived in your mother's womb, okay, when all life, all flesh was conceived in in the mother's womb, 
there began an appointment of death. The clock began to tick. Okay? Now, understanding that, there are things that humans can do and absolutely do to shorten that appointment. Suicide, murder, okay, inflicted death. All right, so if a baby's conceived in the womb, at that minute, God has an appointment that 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 soul should die because mankind is a living soul upon conception. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. Okay? From that point forward, there will be a day of death. We don't know when it is. Unfortunately, and and only God understands, sometimes it miscarries. Sometimes it's born and may die. And we have to accept that as being that date of that appointment. Okay? However, if the child is aborted or um, if it grows and has a free will and commits suicide, then that teaches us that it's out of the will of God. So abortion, to be aborted, would be out of the will of God because he had a death appointment. And the fact of the matter is it was, in essence, taken out of his hands and placed into human hands. So we understand it to not be the will of God. Same with suicide. I have a death appointment. Okay? If I were to shorten my life, which I wouldn't, but if I, were to, if, I, if I were to do that, or just say John Doe, take me out of the equation, say John Doe has an appointment with death, and he takes his life. He has done something out of the will of God because life and death is in the hands of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make efforts to extend our lives. Okay, now I know a lot of debate, religious debate goes into feeding tubes and things like that. I personally believe that, and, and, and again, the Bible, it's, it's, you don't hear me say that much. I personally believe because most things are, are completely clear. I do believe because we are created for God and our lives are created for God and to bring Him glory, we should do all that which is necessary to extend life. Surgery, you know, uh, medication that helps, not all medication, but medication that would help. Things that would preserve life. All right? Now, if those human measurements took, because that's it, God is about life. I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So there's clear and distinct differences in trying to preserve life and trying to take life. So it's not that one's taking it out of God's hands and the other one isn't. In fact, to take life is obviously taking it out of God's hands, but to try to preserve life, we are following the will of God as well because he come that we might have life. Now, if all of our measures fail, surgery fails, medication fails, uh, changing lifestyles to, you know, to, to make your health better fail, you're still going to die, okay? And if that occurs, and it happens naturally, and it happens by the course uh, of, of 
your life. That was God's will. That was God's will. So every one of us have an appointment. Now the Bible in Psalms says that uh, it's three score and ten. That's seventy. And of course we know some some live less than that that are perfectly in the will of God. And understanding that we that's something we we will um, will have to address before God and that in heaven we won't even care. But it's something in the finite wisdom of God. Now, I will say, still yet, there there could be factors. For instance, God could have appointed that you live three score and ten, but that you you know you smoked or you spent a life drinking, or you've done things that could contribute to you eat your eating habits are terrible or, or what have you. Then there have there you could easily have contributed in your life to shortening that. Well, that's not God. That was a choice made by you. So it's not as if God doesn't give you the 70. It's that he, maybe he had planned on giving you 71, but you, uh, you shortened it. Now, having said that, there are occasions where, you know, terrible tragedies happen and, and different things. And at that, we, we have to, Understand just a car wreck, for instance. Well, there's still a human element there, okay? So, what I'm getting into and what we're addressing is this whole um, issue, just to keep it as simple as possible, between the free will of man and the will of God, all right? And the two run very parallel, and it's sometimes the two cross over. And it's important that we be mature enough to understand the distinctions and understand that there are things that will be answered in heaven if we even care about the answer at that point. Now, Hebrews 9.27, there's another part of this. So it's not just appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, there is a context here. We all will face judgment. However, it's very different for the Christian versus the non-Christian or the saved versus the unsaved. I illustrated that, I think, the other week in, in my message. But for the Christian, the judgment, only judgment that we face, to the saved, the only judgment that we face is the judgment seat of Christ. And what is judged there is not our sins, but our works, what we've done for Christ, our motivations, our intent, our objective, those are the things judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, for the sinner, for the one that's not saved, his judgment, her judgment, will be at the great white throne. Now look with me. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So after the death... There will be a judgment. So the context of this, although the saved will have a judgment, which is the judgment seat of Christ, look at the context of this. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Why does it say many, preacher? The reason it says many is because although he died for all, everyone doesn't accept. Everyone doesn't follow in faith. And so it's... Not all, but it's many. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. 
And unto them that look for him shall he appear unto the second time without sin unto salvation. So the context there is for the saved, our sins have been judged. To the lost, guess what? Your sins will be judged at the great white. That sin is going to have judgment. There's no way around it. Either your sins are judged at Calvary or your sins are judged at the great white throne. But sin will be judged. Okay. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. So it's important to note that the law is not entirely bad. It's a shadow of good things to come. Matter of fact, let me I say entirely bad. Let me just rephrase that all together because it doesn't sound very good. Nothing was bad about the law. The law did what it was intended to do. It was it was uh, fingered by God. It was implemented by God. And so there was no bad to the law. Now the issue here, what I, I guess I meant, maybe not to the bad, but to the negative, is the fact that we look at the law as being totally negative, and that's how it seems in Galatians. That's how it seems in Hebrews. But the negativity only comes in is when people, Christians and Jews alike, uh, attempt to make the law a part of salvation or the works of the law or the works of the flesh a part of salvation. Okay, At that point, it's a negative. But it was just a shadow of good things to come. So when what does that mean, preacher? Well, you remember me always talking about types and foreshadows in the Bible. Well, the law is a foreshadow of Christ, the good thing to come. What do you mean? Well, the manna, the Ark of the Covenant, the bloodshed, the lambs, the sacrifices, the, the showbread, bread of life, the, the water, water of life. You see that? Everything that was involved in the law was just a foreshadow of what would come under grace. So in one man, every element of that law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He was the showbread. He was the sacrifice. He shed the blood. He was innocent. He was spotless. He was manna. He, you name it, everything, he was the great high priest and the sacrifice. That's amazing. So everything in the law dovetailed, wrapped up together in the fact that was all in a person in Jesus Christ. So let's look at this. Verse number 1 of chapter 10 can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the uh, the comers thereunto perfect. So the law couldn't make anyone perfect or complete. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Okay, So you wouldn't have to do it anymore if it was complete, but it wasn't. Because they that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It was not possible. 
the blood of bulls and goats, did not even have the ability to take away sins. It just wiped over them, covered over them, year in and year out. All right. Um, Verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a holy, but a, but a body thou hast thou prepared me. So not in sacrifices and offerings, but now we've got a perfect body and a perfect man in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin that thou hast no pleasure. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses. So he goes into the law. He goes into its failure. He goes into its incompleteness. He goes into what it possibly could not do. And then we go to verse 7. Then said I, lo. The term lo means look. I come in the volume of the book. It is. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. So he comes to do the will of God. What is that will? Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, so that means look, again, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. So he comes and he takes the entire first covenant away that he may establish a new covenant. And that is salvation by grace through faith in him. Now watch. Um, Verse 10 is a great one. By the which will we are sanctified, that means set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That means one time for everyone. This is so beautiful. Stay with me. Now, do you remember what we a verse that we started with where we said that he, uh, concerning the sacrifice for many. Do you remember that? All right. You remember me saying that? Why many? Verse verse uh, twenty eight of chapter twenty nine or chapter nine verse twenty eight. So Christ was once offered once to bear the sins of many. Okay. Now, for look at ten twelve. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down on the hand of God. Okay. Uh, verse ten. I'm sorry. By the which will we are sanctified. Through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, he died for all. He made the ultimate sacrifice once for all. But 928 says many because everyone's not going to accept it. But it is available to all. So, we've got the answer there. And all that does accept it, all that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. And they're sealed forever. This is so good. Verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one, one sacrifice for sins forever. Now, when you see setting down in the Bible, it means the job is complete. You've heard you don't sit down until the job's done. Don't sit down until the job's done. Yeah, you, you know, your boss comes around, you're sitting down, is the job done? Well, look. Bible says, after this man had yet offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. So he sits down where? On the right hand of God. Sits down on the right hand of God. So that means to God's right hand. He sits down, and here's what happens. 
from henceforth expecting till he, his enemies may be made his footstool. So his enemies will be his alderman or a recliner where he just puts his foot, just somewhere where he props his feet up. He's set down, but there's coming a day when his enemies are going to be made his footstool. He'll just be able to prop his feet up. Between now and then, what's he doing? He's ever living to make it the intercession for us. What does that tell me? That means he's not put his feet up yet. He's just sat down because that work is accomplished, but he's not put his feet up yet because he's still praying for me and he's still praying for you and he's still praying for all of us till we get to him. And then after he finishes the work, which he's set out to do, which is to defeat Satan and death and hell and the grave, he will at that point sit back down and prop his feet up on those enemies. Now, verse number 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That means he has completed us forever, them that are sanctified. That means set apart for his glory. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Do you see that? The law for us is not written on stone. It's not written on tablets. It is written in our hearts, look, and in our minds. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. So, you lose your mind and you get Alzheimer's and you don't even remember you're saved, God still wrote it in your heart and in your mind. That's so beautiful. And this is even better. Verse 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He just chose not to remember them. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What does that tell us? You don't have to get saved again, and you can't be lost because sin can't be had an offering made for it again. If your sins, past, present, and future, were put away on Calvary, then Christ can't die for it again. It's gone. Therefore, we're eternally saved. Do you see the beauty of of this book. Do you see it? It's such a marvelous, marvelous treatise. And I thank God for what we read in Hebrews concerning our eternal salvation. I hope you have a great night. Thank God for Jesus and everything that Jesus has done for us and given us. Next time we'll go to Hebrews 10 and 19. Good night. God bless. I love each of you.